You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. All right. Well, we're going to, I'm excited to be able to announce uh, a short sermon series that we have going on through the month of December. Uh, it's called The Songs of Christmas as we're looking at some, um, during this Advent season, some different prayers and praises found in uh, the first two chapters of the book of Luke centered around the history-shaking occurrence of the entrance of Jesus Christ into our world. Uh, And today we're going to be starting by looking at this song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, So let's listen to this song of Mary. Hi, my name is Betty. Today I'll read the scriptures from the book of Luke, chapter 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. So, as uh, you just heard read, this is a lovely hymn of praise coming from Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it's beautiful, it's poetic, but I would also just remind us it's, uh, it's, it's just words of great strength and power. And to better understand the force of her words, uh, I think it's helpful to understand some of the surrounding context of what was going on as she shared these words. And maybe those of you who perhaps grew up in church, you're familiar with some of the stories of the nativity and the entrance of Jesus Christ as a baby into the world. But we had this angel visiting this young woman named Mary. And uh, just giving her the news of a lifetime. And sometimes the news of a lifetime doesn't always feel so um, cheery or something that you can wrap your brain around. And I, I think that's what it was for Mary. She was given the announcement that she would be giving birth to uh, the Savior of the world. And, and turn with me, look at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 30, because we get a little bit more description of what was said to her. In verse 30, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary gets this really earth-shaking news. And upon receiving this news, I don't know what you think about Mary, or maybe even if yourself, if you would have gotten news like this, sometimes we think, oh, she must have gone into like a deep prayer session, um, you worship, praise and worship time, just praising God. Um, it, it says here, and we won't read it, but she responds by going to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And, and in the verses, it actually describes it as with haste. 
So she booked it to go see Elizabeth. And I'm just, as we're reading it, probably Mary shaken as any of us would be in receiving news like this. Yeah, you know, you're a young teenage girl. You're not married, um, but you're going to be having a baby and he's going to be this Jesus who is going to be the king. Um, she's probably a, li- a little shaken up and she needs some relational support. She, so she goes to see her relative Elizabeth. And, um, and you can read this on your own in the rest of chapter one, but she goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's story, she's married to a, one of the priests, Zechariah. And her story was that though her and Zechariah had been childless, they did not have any children, um, and she was now past childbearing age. She miraculously conceived a, a, a child and was now pregnant when Mary visits her. And if you, if you look at it, this child goes on to be John the Baptist, and we've looked at him already a few times in our current series through the book of John. So as we've already seen multiple times, John the Baptist's role is to point to Jesus, to announce his coming as, as the Messiah. And, and what we see here is that he starts even when he's in the womb. It describes him as leaping when Mary entered the house of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth then is filled with the Holy Spirit upon his revelation of what's going on. And, and look with me in verse 42. She, she makes this declaration. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And just a, a short side note, um, it reminds me of the power of encouragement. Because Mary, you know, the song that we heard earlier of praise to God, if you didn't know, you must, you might have imagined that God had given her the message through the angel Gabriel, hey, you're going to be the mother of the Savior. And you would have thought that that song of praise to God came right after that, like an exclamation of amazement and thanksgiving. But it wasn't. She was actually described as kind of frightened. And, and with haste went to her cousin or to, to, to Elizabeth to go see her because she needed some support. And then the beautiful song of praise that we, that we heard, it came after this. And, and it's just the power of sometimes when God gives us a call in our life or gives us a, a path of obedience to follow, it's not always easy. In fact, I think sometimes it feels overwhelming. It feels like something too much for anyone of us to handle. But in those moments when the call of God seems too much, God has put people around us to walk with you and cheer you on and say, I I believe this is true. And and may we be that for one another, even as a church. But that's what Elizabeth does for Mary. And so in response to these praise of blessing, Mary sings her song that we heard earlier. And this song of praise, it's traditionally been called the Magnificat because the translation of that word magnifies, which begins uh, the Latin Vulgate version of this passage, the Magnificat. It's magnifies. And as you heard it being read, for some of you, the the form of it, of this song, it might have sounded familiar uh, because it follows the common style of a psalm of thanksgiving. Um, And... 
you know, it might sound familiar, even like Psalm 103, I would encourage you to go read it on your own. It takes a similar form of that, a, a song of thanksgiving to God. Uh, what it does is it thanks God, and then it gives the reasons for why the psalmist is th- giving thanks. And that's what Mary does here. In verse 47, we see that Mary's, Mary's spirit rejoices all of her being is captured in praise of God. And I don't, we're not obviously gathered together physically to sing, but have you had those moments when you're praising God? It feels like it's not just words coming, but it's like all of you. That's, that's what's happening to Mary here. And she acknowledges that God is her savior. And I mean, don't, don't get it twisted. She is truly blessed and she is in a privileged position, but it reminds us that she is no different than any single one of us. She is also in need of salvation and she praises the one who saved her. And then starting verse 48, she gives the reasons for her thanksgiving. Um, he has looked. You know, it, we're meant to, as we hear that, we're meant to hear echoes of the Old Testament character, Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, who in her time of distress and grieving, um, she praised the God who saw her in her despair. And he's looked upon the humblest state of his servant, as Mary describes herself, because Mary, she appropriately recognizes God hasn't included her in his plan because she somehow did something worthy of that. Um, it's, it's simply because of his great mercy that all generations will now call this one simple young woman blessed for all the ways that God has included her in his great plan. So one who didn't necessarily start out extraordinarily exceptional has been made blessed forever. Everyone's going to know. And, and now I want to read the rest of her song again. But what I would ask you this time as you listen, picture that you're standing in an audience listening to this, maybe as a speech. Perhaps like you can envision yourself at like a rally or maybe a protest. And as you hear these words, um, what do you feel stirring within your soul? So listen, listen with me, starting in verse 50 again. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So this is definitely a song of praise and thanksgiving. But guys, there's also so much more here. This is an anthem of justice. A Mary's song, it's clearly announcing that the battle lines have been drawn. That, that Jesus, the very God who's with us, he means, it means nothing will ever be the same again. And, and it means that how the world understands things like power or status, influence, privilege, Mary's song, it, it's a powerful declaration of revolution. The king is here and he changes everything. And we even see this dynamic of revolution in the story's major characters, primarily as we're looking at Mary, but also Elizabeth. That two women who realistically should be um, anonymous extras in the world's eyes, 
they've become major actors in this movement of God's kingdom. I mean, and it's, it's particularly astounding because they lived under some of the challenges of the systemic societal norms of their day. So as Jews, they lived under economic restrictions. As women in a male-dominated society. For Elizabeth, specifically as a barren woman for most of her life until this point. Uh, in verse 25, it even describes that the Lord has taken away my disgrace among the people. For Mary, as an unmarried woman, and all of the societal views of what that would entail, in all of the traditional arenas of power, they would both come out on the short end. But with the coming of Jesus, the, the world, as they and as us would know it, is turned upside down. Um, and, and that's what Mary's proclaiming. It, it, this is, her song is a deep, soulful praise of someone who grasps the grace and the mercy of God that would show and reveal his glory through countercultural means that will change the world. And, you know, as I think about that idea of changing the world, uh, I don't know what resonates for you, but for me, and maybe, maybe you can identify, you know, sometimes when I pause to look at the world, I mean, there's a lot that troubles me. It's just sometimes it's hard, even in this year, to look around. You know, for me, it seems that the world is becoming more and more fractured and divided among socioeconomic lines. I mean, even during a pandemic, it's astounding how it seems like those who are rich are just getting richer, while those who are poor are getting poorer. You know, I, I hear stories as we're thinking about global things. I hear stories about powerless children being sold off in slavery for the most uh, hideous of reasons. And it happens around the world. But I mean, if we're aware of it, it also happens in places like our own very city right here. I, I hear stories, horrific tragedies of terror, uh, terrorist and dictator regimes committing just uh, vile, heinous crimes of wiping out whole generations of men and women and children because of power or, or classifications of religion or money or simply hate. Genocide being committed. I, I, I see groups of people being abused or assist, systemically taken advantage of because of the color of their skin or their gender or their personal lives. Sometimes tragically, even to the point of death. And, and you know, that's just scratching the surface. But we see that the world can be an extremely cruel place filled with injustice upon injustice. And, and you know, maybe for some of us, this year, 2020, all, all that stuff, uh, for some, it's opened the eyes of injustice and, and to become advocates of justice but we've got to realize and recognize this is not something new to recognize the cruelty of the world. Throughout history, there have been brilliant, driven, motivated people who've looked around the world and, and they've been recognizing injustice and inequity and, and pain that, that exists in society. And their ideas have led to revolutionary ideas and movements. 
I mean, one, one man I think of, he, he just lived in 19th century London and he just saw the condition of the city. And there was something going on at that time called the Industrial Revolution, which promised hope. Everything shiny and new and technology and advancement. And, and it was supposed to be the hope of the human race. But what he observed was that instead, you know, the revolution wasn't bringing freedom. It was actually bringing increasing wealth to a smaller and smaller group of people at the expense of a widening class struggle. And he saw how the working class, their lives were being cheapened, even children, in the name of wealth. And he believed that there needed to be a revolution of the poor, which would manifest itself in communism. And this is a legacy of a man called Karl Marx, which probably some of you, as I was describing, you've studied this, you know. Uh, another brilliant person I think of was this young individual full of uh, dreams and promise of what the world could offer. And, but the thing is, the message of his own life, his own experiences, it, it loudly spoke to him that the, the blackness of his skin, it would never allow him to become anything in the society in which he existed, at least in the way that it currently was. And in, in just a, a life of defeat and maybe futility, um, it, it led him to crime and going to prison. But in prison, during his own times of personal study and reflection and learning, he had a revelation of a need for a revolution, a, a movement to claim justice by any means necessary. And obviously, I'm speaking of Malcolm X. And here's the thing, depending on your ideology or your perspective, leaders like Marx, Malcolm X, and, and others throughout history, they're sometimes viewed in a, in a negative light, like a really negative light. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that social revolutionaries, um, they're just identifying problems that I think continue to plague us even to this day. They recognize systems of injustice, and, and they had the strength and the fortitude to work towards trying to change it, trying to do something, create a movement so that things will change. Inequity will be battled. But the problem of revolution without God is that it will lead us to more disillusionment, more frustration. As much education and awareness and enlightenment that we have, injustice still exists. Hate, anger, violence still seem to be the norm. I mean, I, I just honestly, I think about even in our day, we are the most informed, educated society in history. It, the reality is I think sometimes these problems have still exist and in some ways they seem to be growing. I mean, injustice just always seems to be this continually lingering, nasty stink that no Lysol, I mean, even like that extra strength, John, it, it, it won't get rid of it. It's just there, no matter how enlightened we get. But in the midst of that, the good news of Jesus is that, you know, while we recognize the cruelty of injustice in our world, there's a hope that's stirred, that there's actually a king who, whose way is to restore all of this mess, all of this pain, and all of this hurt into a new, better way. 
as the famous thinker G.K. Chesterton described, I love this quote where it says, in the upper world, hell once rebelled against heaven. But in this world, heaven is rebelling against hell. For the orthodox, there can always be a revolution, for a revolution is a restoration. And man, that's what Mary's singing about. In, in her poetic words, they take on a new, deeper meaning, even for our world, just as it did for hers. Scattering the proud, bringing down rulers, lifting up the humble, filling the hungry, sending the rich away empty. Because Jesus' Jesus' bodily entrance into our world, it shows us that just like all of these other revolutionaries um, that we read about in our history books, God also cares about these problems. He's ticked off at injustice, and, and he works to bring change. But perhaps differently than others, it's not a revolution of violence or weapons and increasing hate and anger like we see in so many other cases throughout history, story after story. But instead, it's this revolution led by a king, but he demonstrates service and compassion and generosity and forgiveness it's a revolution marked by this really humble king who strips off his clothes and gets down on his knees and washes the grimy feet of his followers. It's, it's a kind of a revolution where this powerful leader, you, there's no denying his strength and his power, but he teaches his followers to turn and offer their other cheek to those who would strike them. It's, it's a kind of revolution where those on the borders of who's considered important in society, people like children and lepers and prostitutes, tax collectors, uh, women, they're shown how much they matter to God. And just as in Jesus' time, our world still groans for revolution. And if, if this year is teaching us nothing, I hope you can feel almost those spiritual groaning of creation. And, and I don't know for you, but for me, sometimes the darkness around, it can almost make me feel like things are way too jacked up. If you're feeling like this is just, we're past the point of no return. If you feel like that, that's a normal sense But here's hope, even in the midst of despair, that's very real, that's very tactile, that's very just around us, the Advent season is supposed to create an expectant hope within us. That maybe just like Mary spent her months of pregnancy waiting in the hope of the Lord who was to come, we eagerly wait in the hope of Christ who's moving to restore our world into how God intended it in his original created order. But here's the thing. More than just wishing and asking and praying for these things, we come to the realization that we are part of that revolution as members of God's kingdom. That by the very nature of being called the children of God, we are agents of revolution given the power to, to 
by God's spirit to do violence on evil and injustice. We are messengers of God, part of this revolution. You know, practically, as we think about what that looks like in our times, I I think there's some very real ways that we can express being revolutionaries. And maybe some of you, you got, you got a little streak in you. You, you like kind of thinking about what it means to be a rebel and kind of fight the power, all this different stuff. But I, you know, as I was praying through this message and uh, specific, specifically praying for our church, I think along with standing very boldly, I feel God is giving us a word to his larger church. What does it mean to reflect the one we follow in humility and service, compassion, gentleness, meekness, that gentle and meek are not dirty words as much as it seems like that in our current culture. Um, Because we live in a society right now, and I think the rhetoric is getting heightened and heightened where people just want to drag each other into the mud. Sometimes, sadly, even those who claim the name of Christ. And I I want to be very clear here. um, What I'm not saying is to avoid conversations that are hard, avoid hard works of justice, um, because I don't think uh, the valid option is, well, I'm just going to exit myself out of all of this and not get involved. I don't think that's what God is inviting us into. In fact, he might be inviting us to enter hard works of justice, advocacy, speaking out, taking action, showing um, in our giving, whatever it might look like. What does it mean to take action on the works of justice as we see the works of injustice around us? Yet I think what happens is if you engage in the work of justice, you will rile things up because you're going against power brokers and systems that exist. And what I've noticed is if you become a person, a Christian committed to justice, you get a lot of people that will oppose you. And sometimes you will get people who um, denounce you, say bad things about you, call into question your faith, your orthodoxy, your fa- all of these different things, who will challenge you, who will make fun of you, who will mock you, who will sometimes at the expense of what you could lose, all of these different things. And perhaps what it means for us to do violence and evil and injustice is in the midst of those kind of things to take the higher road of Christ And say we will pray for people. To respond in kindness even when we are given dirtiest looks, dirtiest words. Whether they're in person or whether they're done virtually. Because people will want to drag you into the mud. And maybe what God is calling his people to do is say, you know, don't don't get into the mud with them. Stay above that because you're created for better things. And... I think that's one of the ways that God works in our hearts to transform us, in our souls. That as we pursue him on the path of working and advocating for justice, the reality is you're going to run face to face into people who will make you want to pull out your hair, even if you got a little bit like me. It's going to make you go crazy. You will think that you are a loving person, but then when you engage in the work of justice, you will run face first into people that make you question if there's any good in some folks. And if I'll be honest, for me, um, a lot of it is people who I don't agree with. 
And I'm not even saying I'm better than them, but I just don't agree with their view on things, especially if it's done in a certain tone. And it makes me just get angry. I get full of hate. I get full of rage. I don't want to love people. I don't want to forgive. I don't even want to call them part of my same faith family. That's where I go. But that's one of the best invitations to the Christ. Our engaging in the work of justice advocating for these things, it will put you in a place where you will encounter situations and people that show you why you still need Jesus in your own life. God uses our work of justice to reveal our need for Jesus. Because he's calling us to be people of peace. And that might not sound revolutionary, but I think in the current day and age that we live in right now, what we need are revolutionary people of peace. But here's the thing, to be a revolutionary person of peace, it requires us to bow and worship at the feet of the Prince of Peace. To be a revolutionary person of peace requires us to bow in worship at the feet of the Prince of Peace. Because he demonstrated to us the countercultural way that he was going to change the world. And earlier I said Christ's revolution, it's not about violence and anger and hate. But that's actually only partly true because we see that Christ entered this world as a king. um, and, And with him entered revolution. And it's a revolution that does violence on evil. But it's in a manner that the world had never seen. That was foreign to the ways that this world operates in, and they were just not used to it. In one, in one way, it's in symbolic how Jesus entered the world. As a weak, crying baby, seemingly helpless to do anything, and how it, seemi- he, how it seems that he left the world, dangling weakly from a cross, from a tree, apparently defeated. It seems to be the furthest thing from a king. And to be clear, when we speak of God's kingdom, it's not just about the here and now. We're getting glimpses of eternal life in the kingdom. And we need to remember that each one of us, we also need to experience our own personal revolutions as God invites us into this new life to be saved from death to life. Because for Jesus to complete this work of revolution in each of our lives, he went from being a cute little baby sitting helplessly in a manger to a man brutalized upon a wooden cross um, to defeat death on the third day, conquering the grave and sin and death. To kill sin in us, Christ himself was killed. So people of God, you are definitely called to be revolutionary, part of God's revolution as we follow our leader, to do violence on evil and injustice. But can I ask you, what kind of revolution do you need in your own life so that we might do that greater work? So join me right now, and maybe you can consider for yourself, what is one thing that God is speaking to you that you need his work in your life? Are you like me, and do you have a lot of anger and hatred stored up and frustration? Maybe you are totally angry about injustice, which I would say is very warranted, but it's led you to a place where we're not being Christ-like, and we actually don't mind if people experience hurt and pain, which is not the way of Christ. Maybe it's hard for you to want to surrender and submit yourself 
Um, and I'm not saying to be weak in, in a helpless way, but to be meek, to be gentle. When it's not, doesn't seem to be warranted in your flesh, what does it look like to be a person of peace and to let Christ shine through you, even when the people around you don't seem to deserve it? Maybe for some of you, the revolution that you need in your life is to realize that you don't follow Jesus as king. You've not surrendered your life to him, and you're still your own king. And perhaps it's saying, I didn't realize what Jesus did in my place, that he took upon himself the injustice and the violence and evil upon his own body on the cross for me. And maybe the best thing you can do, a revolutionary step today, is to say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for me. I want to now live for you, and I want to be part of your movement into this world. I would love for you to contact our church. We'd love to talk with you and help share what does it mean to be a part of God's family, and, but, but part of his revolution in this world against injustice in the name of Christ. Whatever it might be for you, can I ask you to bow your head with me right now and just say in your own words to God, say, God, do a revolution in my heart because I'm called to be part of a larger group of people that's showing a different way in a world that sometimes feels so long gone that we believe in a better way that Jesus brought. Pray with me. Lord, thank you. And I pray for my friends that are watching this right now, whatever it might be, and it's a miraculous thing that your spirit can speak through all of these different technology, but wherever we're sitting or standing, and maybe some of us are kneeling right now, do that revolution in our heart. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just do it individually, but you start individually, but you also move into a community, a church, and into the city, into the world. So do that in each of us personally. Do it in our church. Do it in our city. Do it in our nation. Do it in our world, Lord. And thank you that we follow a king who threw it all upside down, and we gladly follow in the power of the Spirit. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would encourage you as we respond now in song, let your song be an anthem of praise as well and worship. Maybe you can feel yourself bowing down before the feet of Jesus as we sing about him and remember the one that we follow at this time.